Well, as we journey on into this Easter season of the church, we're going to see in, in many ways that we have readings um, that are, are going to try to lay out for us, are going to try to reflect for us the implications of Holy Week. What does this fateful week in the life of the world, the path, the passion, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, what does it mean for us in our day in and day out lives? As we'll see in our scriptures that they seek to answer a question, what does this powerful, sacrificial, resurrected love of Christ mean for the world? What does it mean for us who believe? In our gospel reading this morning, it's, it's typically, as it was today, um, the passage um, of the, the story of the so-called Doubting Thomas. Now, I suggest to you that, that it really should be called Faithful Thomas, because his faith was displayed in amazing ways, and his obedience to the risen Christ is unparalleled. Um, but that's a sermon for another day. The passage I want to focus on this morning is not Thomas and the disciples, but the epistle reading from 1 John, because in many ways what John is doing is he's explaining, he's showing us the, the evidence of Thomas's faith. So if Thomas can confess, I believe, what is the evidence in his life that that is the case? If, if we can confess that we believe, what does that belief look like in our lives? And what we'll see this morning is that evidence of our new life in God, evidence that we are children of God, is seen by faith in His Son, Jesus, that is visible in our love for God and our love of neighbor. The fact that we are children of God is evidenced in our faith that is visible because of our love of God and our love of our neighbors. So why don't you turn with me this morning, if, if you've got something to turn in, um, to 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Maybe, maybe you brought your Bible, or, or I'm, I'm certain at least half of you have a Bible app on your phone. Um, that is a great way to follow along. And let's go to 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. It's at the end of your Bibles. Uh, if you start from the end, you have Revelation, you have 3 John, you have 2 John, and then amazingly, right before 2 John is 1 John. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, I will read it for y'all while you look for it. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So what we see is that John is he's making an argument, and sometimes it's hard to follow, or it's not incredibly clear what, what he is trying to say, or not always straightforward, until you actually read it very carefully and very closely. But what we, what we see is that John's trying to make an argument, and, and he begins by, by stating a topic sentence, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah and loves his neighbor is a child of God. 
right? There in the first sentence. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And so believing in Jesus and loving God and our neighbors is evidence that we are children of God. Now, how do we love our neighbors? We love our neighbors, right there in verse 2 and 3. It says, by, keeping, by loving God and keeping his commandments, but especially keeping his commandments without burden. His commandments are not burdensome. Now, verse 4 says we are able to do this because we're children of God. And because as children of God, we have overcome the world. Verse 5, how have we done this? Through faith in Christ through the belief that he is the Son of God. And so John wants to ask the question, how do you know you're a child of God? Because you have faith in his Son, Jesus, that is visible in a world-overcoming love for God and neighbor. So the first thing we want to recognize is we consider an Easter faith. What does it mean to have a resurrection, an Easter faith? Is that love for God translates into keeping his commandments without burden. Without burden. Now John has a nuanced definition of commandment. When we think of commandment, what do we think of? We think of the big ten, right? The ten commandments. Um, And if you go beyond that, we might think of the law of Moses, the commandments of God. Well, John's talking about that. But he's talking about something more and something deeper and something more life-changing. Because John, you'll remember, John was there. He was there at the foot of the cross. John was there. He was there the night before Jesus died when he gave them bread and wine, right? And he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. John was there when Jesus stooped on his knees and washed his dirty feet. And John was there when Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Love one another. And so when when John speaks of commandments and obeying the commandments of God, he's talking about this commandment of love. Does it include the Ten Commandments? Yes, but it's so much more. Because with the law of God, with the Ten Commandments, it so easily turns into a checklist, right? So easily. Have no other gods. Check. Keep holy the Sabbath. Check. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Check. Honor your father and mother. Well, I try. But do you see, it can easily turn into a checklist of things that we do. But John's understanding is harder and is deeper than the Ten Commandments or even the whole law of Moses. He's talking about a deep and abiding love of God and a deep and abiding love of our neighbors. And this love is the evidence that we are indeed children of God. Now, the second part of this love isn't simply keeping the commandments. It's not simply engaging in godly love, but doing so without burden. We see that in verse 3. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments, what? Are not burdensome. 
that loving people, loving God, is not a burden to us if we are indeed children of God. Now, if we're honest, it might be possible to demonstrate visible outward love of God and our neighbors and still have it be a tremendous burden on our hearts. Think about those days where you spend all day showing love to your unlovable coworker, where you spend all day looking past the sins of your spouse or the ungratefulness of your children, where you spend much of your time charitably agreeing to helping out with yet one more task at church. And yet, despite outward appearance, the grumbling, right? The grumbling persists in your heart. Now, I'm not talking about venting and processing that occurs with your spouse right before bed. I'm not talking about the prayer to God, asking Him to spare you this task if, if it be His will. Some of these are just realities of us working things out as humans. But I am talking about the true and the heartfelt burden of a loving deed unappreciated or unreturned. There's several types of burdensome love, to be sure. But I think the biggest and the most prominent is an act of love performed in expectation. Expectation of a similar return. Expectation of of some sort of expression of gratitude. Something that acknowledges that, that you sacrificed to love this person. And it's a burden Because when this expectation is not received, it wells up bitterness, resentment, or possibly just disappointment. Friends, I think this is the type of love that we are actually quite good at. We love God with the expectation of His blessing or of His favor or of His generosity We love our spouses with the expectation that they will somehow complete us and meet our every need. We love our children on the condition that they actually appreciate it. We love our neighbors expecting one favor to be returned for another one. This is a burdensome love. And it goes two ways. On one hand, it burdens us because It does not come naturally. We can only love well when we are rewarded for it somehow. And that's a burden when that reward doesn't come. And it burdens the one that we are loving. The one that our, our love is directed towards. When we love with expectation, it, it puts conditions and limits on how much we could possibly love them. I'll love you if, I'll love you when, I'll love you on this condition. And that puts the burden of love on them. Now, of course, the challenge is we, we read this passage and we, we just, it's almost like a throwaway sentence that John, John just sticks in here and then and becomes the word of God. He says, the commandments are not burdensome. And we read that and what? We're immediately burdened, Right? says, love God, love your neighbor, that, that, and, and do so without burden. And I, and I read that, and immediately I feel this weight on my shoulders because I know, I know, you know in your heart of hearts 
we know that we do not love well. We haven't loved the Lord well. We haven't loved our neighbors well. And God knows we have not loved our families well. The ones that should be easiest to love are our brothers and sisters in Christ, family in this room, and, and especially the ones who live under our roof sometimes give us the most burden. Sometimes we give them the most burden. And what we see is that John actually roots this burdensome love. Um, he roots our inability to love and our slavery to the ways of the world. And so look at um, verse 4. And you have to read carefully to catch what he's saying. So in the previous verse, verse 3, he says, His commandments are not burdensome. And then there's a little word that says for. Um, you could read because, right? His commandments are not burdensome because. His commandments are not burdensome for. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Do you see that? This commandment to love should not be burdensome because we have overcome the world. It is burdensome when we haven't overcome the world. And what does that look like to have love rooted in the world? Well, John actually tells us in in chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, he says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, just to be clear, John's not saying don't love this creation. John's not saying don't love people who who don't love Jesus. He's not saying that at all. But what he's saying is do not be conformed to the ways of this world. Do not let your life be shaped by the things that, that the world, apart from God, thinks is important. Love the world, yes, but do not love like the world. Does that make sense? Do not love in the way the world loves. But too often our love is rooted in that. John talks about the desires of the flesh, the desires of our eyes, covetousness. Sometimes our love is rooted in desiring other things. Even if it's desiring a certain type of relationship, we we covet Or, John says, our love is rooted in in pride. So either it's rooted in the things we don't have and are coveting or the things that we do have and we're really proud about. And when our love is rooted in, in worldly covetousness or worldly pride, these things are not from God. In fact, they set up idols, right, in our hearts. Things that we don't have but we want or things that we do have and we cherish. Good things sometimes that we actually make ultimate things. Silly example, I went to the um, iPhone store the other day, a couple weeks ago. Um, it was actually right before our clergy renewal of vows, and so it's supposed to be a really very pious, holy time where we go and renew our commitment to God as clergy and renew our commitment to the bishop. And, and I thought, well, it's convenient, so I'll go by the iPhone store right before my renewal of vows. I need a new battery. Things were slowing down. So I go in there, and, and the, um, the genius, I think they call him, runs all sorts of diagnostics on my phone, and he says, yes, you need a new battery. I'm like, that's great. He says, do you want to have it done today? I'm like, yes. And he says, okay, I'll take your phone. I'll give it back to you two hours. And I'm like, what? Two hours? That's a long time. He's like, we'll we'll get you a new battery. I'm like, okay, can I send one more text to my wife? 
I'm going to be without my phone for two hours. He says, yeah, you can send another text. And so I log out of what he's doing. I send a text, and, and he logs back in, and then it, it dings. I'm like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> can I read that text? And then I'm like, no, you take the phone. And I looked at him. I had a confession session in the Apple store with the employee. And I said, I did not know that this was a problem. But this is stressing me out. He says, well, what? What do you need it for for the next two hours? Well, I'm going to worship God. I didn't know. I didn't know, and that's silly, and, and the point of this isn't to say, well, our phones can be our idols. I mean, they, they can be, but, but that's not the point. But the point is to say that there are things in our lives that we value that we don't know how much we value them until they're going to be taken away, until they're going to be gone. And if there is something that you are valuing that might be gone tomorrow, that would devastate you, that would ruin you, that would make life not worth living. Maybe it's an idol. And it could be silly things like a phone, but it could be very good and holy and lovely things like your wife or your children or your beloved friends and neighbors. They can become idols. But the problem is, when, even when these good things become idols, these things that should be um, objects of our love, when they become the ultimate objects of our love, we cannot love them well anymore because it's rooted in the ways of the world. So if we are loving our children and our spouse as our idols, we are looking for them to provide something to us that they cannot provide And not only will it devastate you, but it will devastate them. When you are looking to your job to provide something for you, identity, status, when you're looking for it to give you something that it cannot provide, it will destroy you. When you're looking for leisure to give you something that it cannot provide, to give you worth or satisfaction, ultimately, that it cannot provide, it will ruin you. And you'll ruin your job and you'll ruin your children and your spouse and you'll ruin your leisure activity because you're asking it to do something it can't. You're loving with covetousness and prideful eyes. And what John is saying here in this passage is that evidence that we have become children of God is we have overcome this type of love. We have overcome a worldly love that we could actually love with a godly love. How? This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Faith in what? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Burdensome love is rooted in love of the world, in worldly love. And it's a a burden to us because it's incomplete. I think loving people and things like that in idolatrous ways, I think it's a burden to us at the end of the day because we know they can never love us back. And we began to wonder in our heart of hearts, do we really deserve to be loved at all? 
Do we really deserve to be loved at all? And what John is saying is that Christ has overcome that. Christ has loved us perfectly. Christ has loved us fully. Christ has loved us while we were yet sinners. He's loved us in spite of the fact that we crucified him. He loved us in spite of the fact that we love other things more. He loved us anyway to the point that he would give up his life, that he would give up his heavenly crown, that he would give up everything to bear the burden of sin that we might have new life. The promise of Jesus is given to us in his death and it's sealed in his resurrection that anyone who believes in him will overcome the world, that anyone who believes in him will be crucified with him, that our worldly ways and our worldly loves will die with him so that they can be raised to new life, to Easter life, to resurrected life in Jesus Christ. The expectation is not that we would love perfectly. That is a burden. But the expectation is that we would love through Christ who first loved us. How are we children of God? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we know that love, that sure and certain love, we are freed We are free to love others, and we we start to see that in our lives, that we can love without expectation and without burden. And we we realize that when we're not, we, we can turn back to Christ and turn back to the cross, and we find that we actually have in Jesus an advocate for us, interceding for us at the right hand of God, bringing us back into this Easter faith. It's not that we're perfect, but that we are repentant and returning to Christ and resting in his death and resurrection. That's the evidence that we are children of God. Have you seen that in your life? Most of you, you know what I'm talking about and you've been there and this is a reminder. Come back to the cross. And some of you are wondering, I don't know. Am I a child of God? How can I become one? And I would say to you that if you're asking that question, he's already making you one in your heart. He's already drawing you to him. Do you have faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, that he was raised from the dead to overcome evil and to offer us a heavenly kingdom? Because if you do, you are a child of God. And if you want to become a child of God, that is the next step. And so I pray that in this Easter season, we would begin to see this evidence of the love of God in our lives, evidence that we are indeed children of God, that we would come back to that and receive that, and that the love of Christ would draw us ever closer to him and ever closer to each other and ever closer to this world that desperately needs his love. Let us pray.